0: Chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, we come back to Ephesians a little later, but... Turn to 1 Kings 19 and be good if you have your Bibles open there because I can't read the whole story, I'm going to read just a bit of it, crucial part of it for our message today and we're breaking in to the story of Elijah. 1 Kings 19 verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat, Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, And killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out. Stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake Elijah. You know, when you read the Bible, you frequently come across men of God in strange places, the kind of places you wouldn't expect men of God to end up in. You wonder how they got there. And if you're more curious, you wonder what's going on inside them. Because it seems that their physical location is something of an indication of what was going on in their inner life that God wanted to reveal and deal with. Many examples. Maybe we will touch on some of these in the future. I don't know just yet, but if we think of Samson in prison, strange place for a man of God, captive to the Philistines, eyeless in Gaza, Moses, a fugitive from God and his calling, hidden away from the eyes of the world in some remote corner of the desert, David, disengaged from battle, idling his time away on the rooftop of his palace while his army was in the thick of battle against the enemies of the nation. Jonah, in the belly of a fish, having refused to be God's messenger to the Ninevites. Job, suffering untold, unexplained deaths of intense suffering, surrounded by a group of friends intent on accusing him. And Elijah hiding in a cave wishing that God would take his life. I wonder how you respond when you think of those things. For me, I respond with enormous encouragement because it means that when I find myself in some tight spot, some situation of difficulty or pressure, I I begin to wonder How do I end up in this place? And more than that, I realize that God is up to something. God is always up to something. So wherever you find yourself now, let me tell you the good news. God is up to something. Amen. And the question that we're asking is, where are you, Elijah? And uh, the actual question that God asks two times which I believe, from the text, a slightly different emphasis. First time he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? But the question really goes deeper than that. It's what are you doing here? What do you want from me? What do you need me to do? And in order to understand what we really need from God, we need to ask the deeper question, what's going on inside us? What's going on inside us at this point? What has happening, been happening inside us that has brought us to this place. And when we can answer that question, then we can discover our real need. Where are you, Elijah? That's what we call a red dot question. Red dot question. Um, I'm sure you know what I mean when I refer to it when we go to maybe to a shopping center. Westfields, I suppose, is my closest shopping center, but every time I go, I've been going for several years, I still don't know where I am. <laughs> I arrive from some lift lobby and some floor, f- disorientated. I don't even know who I am at that particular point. But thankfully, there is a map. And you go to the map and you find the red dot. You are here. And then you begin to say, well, that's where I am. Identify where I want to be and what route I have to take to get there. So the red dot question is very crucial in life. We need to know where we are, what's actually are going on inside us in relation to where we want to be. And this is the, one of the most profound and most necessary questions we need to ask ourselves in our spiritual journey. Over the summer I was privileged to be able to go to the United States of America. And Renew Fellowship with Dr. Larry Crabb, who is a Christian psychologist, author of many, many books, virtually any book written by Larry Crabb, I would, I would recommend. And I was together with him 20 or more years ago when he was visiting this country as the guest of Selwyn Hughes of, of CWR. And, And working on Christian counseling and looking at how we can learn to be more effective in our people helping skills. And um, a Christian counseling model was developed by Larry Crabb, which has influenced me all through the years. But in more recent years, Larry Crabb has taken a slightly different direction. Moving away from perhaps formal professional counseling to how we can equip members of the body of Christ to engage in spiritual conversations... And uh, so we we'll describe this much more in terms of spiritual direction. And so when you are engaging in spiritual direction, you need to know where you are and you need to know where the other person is, not just in their external life and presentation, but what's going on inside. And this is the red dot question, where are you? And Larry Crabb presented me with a red dot t-shirt I may wear it one day just to show you. This question, where are you? What's going on inside you? what you are thinking, what are you are feeling, right now is very revealing because it opens up questions of the inner life. You ask the question, what's happening in me? And not the more superficial question, what's happening to me? And we can often ask that question very easily. I don't know what's going on, what's happening to me? But the deeper question is, what's happening in me? And so this helps us turn our focus away from the external world to our internal world where we become self-aware, cultivating this spiritual discipline of inner reflection. It's not about introspection, which is usually negative, damaging, rooted in self-centeredness or self-absorption. We're not to look at ourselves in that respect, always look at Jesus. But true godly inner reflection is about being aware at all times what's going on inside you. That's the only way to tackle the inner issues of the heart, to grow spiritually by being constantly in touch with the inner self. And that way we can begin to discover what flesh dynamics are operating. You're sitting there talking to somebody and these emotions are rising up. You're feeling irritated, you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling humiliated, you're feeling jealous, or you're feeling insecure... And that begins to reflect on how you respond to the outside world and how you respond in your relationships. So we need to be self-aware at all times. And the first question that we ask is, what's that flesh stuff? What's going on inside me? Why am I feeling so angry? Why am I feeling so irritated? Why am I feeling so insecure? And trace those roots to the, to the source of that stuff, which is really, frankly, stinking flesh. But we don't stop there. we we dig deeper and come to the core of our being... where we discover the glorious presence of the Holy Spirit... in permanent residence. That new creation reality. And we realize what our real need is. Not just because we're hurting... as a result of those external injuries... or even hurting on the inside because of the stuff that we're carrying... but we become broken, not by the weight of our circumstances but by the realization that we are not like Christ inside. And so we don't cry out for relief from pain. We don't turn into self-pity, have a pity party, ask God in some godly willing way to conduct some kind of spiritual euthanasia, put me out of my misery, Lord. We go deeper than that and say, God, I, I need you. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's the real brokenness. Many of us know the brokenness and pain that comes from incidences and and stuff that affects us from the outside. And we start playing the blame game, blame everybody else, blame God, but worst of all, begin to blame ourselves. And we are broken by the weight of pain and suffering of our circumstances and never ask the real question, God, what's going on inside me right now that displeases you? And when we realize that so many of our actions and reactions are rooted in selfish motivation, in self-reliance and flesh, then we begin to say, oh, wretched man that I am. God, I need you. And it comes very quickly as Paul realized when he prayed that prayer in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Spiritual dynamics are far more powerful than puny, stinking flesh dynamics. The problem is, people who are not aware of what's happening in their inner world have no idea what they're really thinking and feeling deep down. They become unaware. They become insensitive. They don't know what's driving them at any moment. They have no self-awareness of what is the root, the real source of those negative thoughts, those negative emotions, the anger, the insecurity, the pride, the jealousy. And often, these things are so deeply rooted in our inner personality because they've been formed, really, from childhood onwards, and and people can go on into adulthood, even so-called mature spiritual adulthood and be actually behaving like spoiled children on the inside. Sorry, but that's how it is, friends. We just lift the lid off it. But it's good news because beyond that, there is a deeper reality. God's voice within. God's presence within. But if we are unaware of how these inner motivations, these inner things are affecting our response to situations... And our relationships with others, unless we are aware of that, we have no way of really growing into true spiritual maturity when we realize it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Let's have a little look at Elijah's external world. I mean, it is brilliant. It's powerful. It's awesome. When we look at him, we think, how can it be that a man... A mere mortal could be so powerfully used by God and we take strength and encouragement from how God may manifest himself through us in power in the external world. He had a significant call and a crucial role in calling Israel back to the worship of the one true God. He was endowed with many powerful God-given capacities with a God-given courage to use them, standing before the king and saying, King, it's not going to rain. Not one drop of rain is going to happen until I say so. That would be like marching on the, on, the, on the door of number 10 or maybe number 11 as we're dealing in economics and knocking on the door and saying, the economy of Britain will neither go up nor down until I say so. Whatever policies, whatever government, because I am in control, says the Lord. They would lock you away straight away. (laughs) But he also knew how to experience supernatural provision in a time of drought. He provided miraculously for the needs of a woman. He depended for God's miraculous provision in his own life. He was given an incredible anointing to raise the dead, to call down fire from heaven, to confront The evil powers of the day. Courage to execute judgment upon the false prophets of Baal. Implementing to the letter the law of Moses. Clearly he knew God. Clearly, Elijah had the capacity to hear God and obey God in relation to his prophetic calling, in relation to his ministry, in relation to the manifestation of power. He knew how to handle that. And as incredible as it may seem, that's the easy bit. Every time you and I move in some manifestation of the Spirit, some gift of prophecy, some miraculous healing, It's so evidently not us, it's so evidently God, and the charismatic manifestations flow so easily. In fact, so easily that it doesn't necessarily have to touch your inner life. And the worst example, or the best, if you like to put it that way, example of this is is when Jesus says, Many on that day will come to me saying, Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do mighty miracles, cast out devils? And and Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. It seems to me it is easier to manifest power in the public place. To develop a ministry of success and a pattern of success which is all worldly, even in the so-called Christian ministry. That's the easy part. But to stay close to God in the inner person, that's the tough bit. I remember one occasion when we were ministering and uh, I was called in amongst others to stand by and minister, the power of God was flowing, the anointing was strong, people were falling under the power of God. I don't know how many were being pushed, how many went of their own accord, or how many actually were being touched by God, I don't know, but it certainly looked good. And the thought came to my mind, how easy it is. I'm not minimizing spiritual gifts, hear me out. How easy it is. To present a persona of God's man of power for the hour. Whereas inside, something very different is going on. That's why in the wisdom of God, the Apostle Paul gives us three chapters to regulate this in the New Testament. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, spiritual gifts. But these are two sides of the bitter bread that holds the meat in the middle. This is God's spiritual hamburger. When you bite into a hamburger, you don't just bite into the bread. You bite into the meat in the middle. And that's 1 Corinthians 13. The love of God, the character of Jesus. That's at the heart of it all. So Elijah's external world was very successful. But it all collapses, seemingly in an instant. You know, when something collapses overnight, the damage that caused the collapse didn't happen overnight. And so we're going to try and look a little deeper to see what clues there are to have a look at Elijah's inner life. What was going on inside? Here he is running from Jezebel. Even reading it again today, and I read it at the 9 o'clock service, even at 11 o'clock service, I think, my, 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 how could it be this powerful man of God who two seconds ago was calling fire from heaven and prophesying rain so that the drought would end, showing that God is in control of all things and Elijah is his mouthpiece, how could he suddenly, seemingly, turn tail and become a coward running away from, from a woman, the threats of a woman, Now, in my book, The Jezebel Spirit, I show how this was not just an ordinary woman. She was a mouthpiece for a very powerful assignment, a satanic assignment coming from the pit of hell, which we can label the Jezebel Spirit. And I want you to pray for every man of God. Don't think if Elijah can, can collapse under that attack. Don't think any of us is immune. Pray for us. Pray for yourselves. Pray for one another. Here he is hiding under a broom tree in the wilderness, separating himself from all fellowship. Isn't that the first thing we do? We run away from God and cut ourselves off from fellowship, and suddenly our cell member can't reach us anymore. Our cell leader doesn't, can't find us anymore. We change our telephone number, and we sit at home and pout hiding under a broom tree, praying for God to take his life, depressed, beating himself up, drowning in self-afflicted feelings of guilt, worthlessness, and failure. Surely this tells us that there was something wrong with Elijah's internal world. Even when he was at his most successful, even when he was demonstrating On Mount Carmel, the power of God in a way that I have never seen. And by the way, we need a few more Elijahs today, don't we? Now, the New Testament summarizes this and gives us a very, very big hint. In James chapter 5, it says, Elijah was a man with the same passions we have. Meaning he was human, like us, in every way with the same desires, the same passions, and the same weaknesses. Elijah had not yet discovered that. He had not yet discovered that he was just a man, like anybody else, and needed, just like everybody else, to seek first God's presence, and to build strength from within. The Old Testament gives us a bit of a clue as well. If you have a look in 2 Kings chapter 1, there's a story of uh, Elijah, how he confronted the king of Samaria. The king of Samaria, his name was Azahiah, and rather clumsy clumsy king, he fell through the lattice ceiling and injured himself. And he was in great pain, he said, I've got to find out what's the outcome here, what's going to happen to me? So he sent his messengers to inquire, not of the Lord, the God of Israel, but of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron. How easy it is that we turn away from the one true God to find source and succor and guidance outside of God and his word. Elijah heard about this from the Holy Spirit and wasn't happy. So he cut off the servants sent from the king and confronted them with a prophecy. 2 Kings 1 verse 3. Is it because... There is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Zebub, the God of Ekron. But because you've not consulted God, let me tell you the outcome. Tell the king it's finished. He's going to die. Well, the king didn't like that, as you can imagine, that Elijah, go and arrest him. So the king sent one captain with 50 soldiers, a company of men, thinking that will be enough. So Elijah is there on the mountain waiting, and the first captain with fifty soldiers come to arrest him, and Elijah turns around, and fire comes and sizzles the lot of them, destroys them all with just one lick, with furious fire from heaven. So the king sent a second captain with another group of fifty soldiers. Same thing. Now, would you have liked? Would you like to have been the captain of that third company that came? I reckon that captain came in fear and trembling. Don't, don't, don't kill me. Elijah, Elijah, please have mercy on me. But let's have a look as this captain is pleading for his life. 2 Kings 1, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid. Of him. It's extraordinary. This captain was terrified, pleading for his life, but Elijah was even more fearful. I think that's encouraging because it means that God can use us despite ourselves. That God's strength is made perfect in weakness as so long as we don't pretend that we're strong when we're not. So long as we don't project a success power model of life and, and living And think that's that's, that's the worldly way. And it can creep into the church. It creeps into Christian ministries. Creeps into our hearts. But it's also a warning because unless we attend to what's going on inside us, we will never know true intimacy with the Holy Spirit and never see Christ fully formed in us. Elijah was fearful. He was anxious, full of self-doubt isolated and lonely several times he said I'm alone I'm on my own he was therefore vulnerable and exposed we also see indications that something ugly was going on inside him he seemed to be carrying a false sense of responsibility as if it all rested on his shoulders Outside, he was wielding the power of God. But inside, he was being motivated, perhaps, by fleshly motives of self-effort. 1 Kings 19, verse 4. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. Well, what did you think? Whoever said you were. Maybe Elijah had been trying to prove something. Prove that he was better. And when you try and do that, you go straight into flesh power. Because it's not about God proving how good you are. It's about you yielding to his strength within you. 1 Kings 19 verse 10. I've been very zealous for the Lord. I alone am left. Being very zealous, that's a bit of self-assertion. Look how zealous I've been. Look how well I've done. I've kept it together. I've managed this process very well. And they're all gone. I'm the only one left. False responsibility. He would forgotten that it was not about him. It was all about God. And all these tendencies at one time or another are present in all of us. Therefore, we've got to give attention to the inner life. Because when the pressure mounts, the collapse will come. And we see the pressure mounting in Elijah's life. It seems as if he was in a three-dimensional pressure cooker. It was coming from all directions... Above, below, and all around. The pressure of expectations of others. The pressure of his own self-imposed expectations on himself. Threats, spiritual pressure. Undoubtedly, a key part of this was his physical and emotional exhaustion. You can only run on empty for so long, and then eventually it grinds to a halt. That's why we should really take care of ourselves. We're not just body people, we're body, soul, spirit people, but we are body people. We have to take care of ourselves, take the rest. And the biggest rest, the best rest of all is rest in your spirit in the presence of Jesus. He lacked spiritual connection with others. He was isolated. Now, we do the best we can. We provide the structure, we provide the potential, but you've got to take the opportunity. In our cell model, it's not just the cell meetings, the regular meetings, it's also those smaller groups of three where we encourage you to be in real heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit connection, where you have a real spiritual friend who won't condemn you for what you've done wrong, but neither condone it, but work together with you, not as a policeman pulling you up at the traffic lights, but as a fellow soldier in the trenches fighting your battles with you as you fight his battles, her battles with them. He lacked that. But he'd also, it seems to me, neglected the inner life because he no longer heard the voice of the Spirit for his own life. It's very easy, and it's a problem. that I address to everybody, cell leaders are, Platform team and preachers. so he's, "Oh, what, oh that's a great book write down quickly. I I to make a note of that, because that'll be a good sermon on Wednesday. Oh, there's a, another good one for Sunday. Oh what I've got next week. Oh, God's really speaking to me. No, he's not. He's not speaking to you, Colin. He's giving you ideas for sermons. What's he saying to me? What's he saying to me? That's the big question. To ask you the question, what happens when your outer world falls apart? Well, it all depends on what's going on inside you. It all depends on the strength of your inner life. It depends on whether you're living the externally managed life, conforming to this worldly model of life and living, the external power success model. Look at me, what a great man I am. Look at me, what a competent woman I am. And I'm not just talking about people who stand here in the public platform and public Christian ministry. I'm talking about you in your board meetings, you in your time in your office. How do you present yourself? Is it all about this worldly thing? Look how clever I am, look how successful I am. And behind that is an empty shell where there's no real connection with the Holy Spirit. Are you living the externally managed life or are you living the internally strengthened life? The externally managed life is about trying to make life work by conforming to this worldly pattern of self-effort, projection of self, making sure people know that you're powerful, that you're competent, that you're successful. You write your CV and it bears no resemblance to the truth. <laughs> you send forth your publicity and... Uh, The people believe it, and worse still, you believe your own publicity. When all that collapses, and you find you can't make it happen anymore, then you cave in. You see the pun. Elijah caved in. That's why he was in the cave. You blame yourself. You beat yourself up, or you blame others. Beat them up. You become so ugly it's difficult to know become so angry, so frustrated, people can't even touch you. You bristle like a porcupine in full attack mode. But the internally strengthened life so different. It's when you are yielding to that deepest part in you, to the one who dwells in the very core of your being, and you draw your enabling power and strength from him through the root not of the power success model, but through the root of the inner, broken, yielded model. You know that your strength comes from the Lord. Where does your strength come from? Really, really speaking. Not just the biblical answer, the correct answer. Where does your strength come from? Jesus. Jesus. But really... Where are you deriving that strength, that comfort, that motivation? Where is it coming from? Your role in life? Then you become a role player, like an actor on a stage. Come from your talents and abilities? Then you are projecting a performance lifestyle where it's all about how well you do, how successful you are, and your spirituality will rise and fall with the impact you have on others and their recognition of you. Is it your position, your influence, or is it your personality, your own personal ability to be courageous or have a lot of knowledge? You see, I I think this is a personality thing in some respects. There there are people who seem extremely resilient. You can hit them six times with a brick by breakfast at lunchtime, they're smiling at you, (laughs) where others you can't even look at them crooked and they go into mourning for a week. I think that is a lot to do with how we differ as human beings. I think sometimes those who cope best fare worst spiritually. But those who are so keenly aware of of their inner weakness, those are those who say, God, I come to you because without you I can do nothing. We learn to yield. And even those who have a successful pattern and habit of performance and achievement and success... Still need to come by the way of brokenness because you may be able to make your outer life work without God or bring him in as a spare wheel in case it goes wrong. But you have no power, no capacity to rule over the inner life. Only the Holy Spirit can can take charge of the throne room of your life. Only the Holy Spirit can give you strength to beat back the flesh, to dig deep into the realm of the Spirit and find the gold of the presence of God and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Only God can do that. That's why when Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, he wasn't speaking as a man who was broken in the way you and I often define brokenness. A a person is broken in our language, in our vocabulary, when they are crushed by circumstances and in pain, crying out for relief. That is not the brokenness I'm speaking of. A person with that kind of brokenness will ask for circumstantial change, will ask for relief from pain, but a person who is broken and contrite in spirit cries out for mercy in repentance and finds the help of God to be changed from within, to exhibit the graces and the glory and the character of Jesus being shaped on the inside. Does your strength come from the mighty acts that God does through you, your mighty achievements, even under the anointing? Why is it that so many great men and women of God, I mean it, great many women of God, nosedive. Why? It's because they start to put their identity in what God is doing through them, rather than their identity in what God is doing in them. It's so easy and we're part of the conspiracy because we elevate these people and we praise them for their charismatic ability when that has absolutely nothing to do with them. Instead of saying, God, thank you for using me but I don't take my strength from you and your work, from your works of power because you do it and you do those things, but you don't inhabit them. These things are the manifestation of God himself. When you see God manifesting, don't go after the manifestation. Receive it, enjoy it, bless it, but go after the God who manifests himself. That's the external way in which we gain strength But there is a better way, the internal way, strength coming from the secret place, the internal garden of your soul, cultivated by the Spirit of God and our Father, who is the gardener. Where God himself dwells and reveals himself, empowering you from the inner man and in the inner man. There, in the quietness of the secret place, in the inner personality, you hear the whispers of the Holy Spirit, drawing you into deeper and deeper intimacy with him. The noisy world without, but those divinely given earplugs that block that noise out till you hear from the stillness within, the delicate whispering voice of the Spirit. That's why we read Ephesians 3, halfway through verse 16, Paul's prayer is that, we might be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we internally may be rooted and grounded in love. This is an experience that Elijah had to pass through. Let's retrace his steps. Here he is, exhausted, depressed, His outer world has collapsed. And what is he left with? Confusion. Disappointment. Failure. So God sends an angel. Gives him some angel cake. I wish we could find the nutritional content of that cake. (laughs) Because he went in the strength of it for 40 days. And and, and the angel said, the journey, you need this. Because the journey is too great for you. Thank you, Jesus, for angel cake today. The nutrition of the Spirit as we feed on Christ and feed on his word because for all of us the journey is too great without him. Angel sets them off in the right direction to the mountain of God. There's a whole sermon in that. Back to the presence of God. Back to the place of revelation. But instead of waiting for God, he hides in the cave. And God calls him and says, come and stand on the mountain. Elijah remains within. So God sends a wind so great that it breaks the very rocks, an earthquake that it shakes the very terrain. Fire so, so spectacular. God did those things... These were the acts of God, but he doesn't dwell in his acts. God was not in those things. His presence was not there. These were the manifestations of God, but it's not where God lives. We can't live in the spectacular. We live in the secret place with the Holy Spirit. And then there came, still small voice. If you look in the margin of your Bible, certainly my Bible, New King James, there's an alternative reading here. I think it's beautiful. Listen to it. A delicate, whispering voice. But God who has the power to send a wind so strong that it tears mountains and rocks in two speaks gently, delicately, doesn't shout, whispers. And that whisper is easily, goes easily unheard unless you're still and listening. That stillness within reminds me of being in the eye of a storm where all is still while everything rages around you. Elijah heard that voice and he stepped out of the cave. First step to spiritual recovery. First step to inner restoration. He reconnected with the gentle whispering of God in his own soul. But this wasn't instant success, an instant turnaround. This is no instant soup spirituality. He's a long way to go. But he'd taken that first step, which was crucial. Because the Bible says... He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out of the cave. I mean, what's he saying here? Why would he wrap his face in the mantle to go outside and meet with God? He's still hiding from God. He's still ashamed and still using his ministry as a cover-up for what's really going on inside him. The mantle spoke of his ministry. You know that? Moses had a rod. Elijah had a mantle, a cloak. Very soon, he's going to use that cloak and throw it over his successor, Elisha, to be his servant and ultimately his successor. Not so long after this, he's going to take that mantle and strike the river of Jordan. It's going to part in two. He's going to be caught up to heaven in a chariot of fire and his mantle is going to fall to the earth and Elisha is going to pick it up and do the same things. This mantle speaks of his prophetic calling. This mantle speaks of the power of God upon his life. But he was lacking the power of God in his heart. He hides his face. Don't use any way, any don't use anything to hide from God, especially not your ministry, your calling. Whether you are a minister in a pulpit in a church or a minister as the rest of uh, the congregation is in the marketplace, the workplace, home. Know that God calls you to represent Him, but it is only effective when it comes from what he's doing in you and then god asks him the same question the second time first time i put the emphasis on what are you doing here why are you here what are you doing here second time i believe god asked him the question differently from the verses that follow i suggest to you the second time god asked this question He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Look, I've got stuff for you to do. And God answers and addresses virtually every question that was going on in the inside of Elijah. Elijah, you're not alone. There are 7,000 others like you and you're going to choose one of them. You're going to take one of them, Elisha, and he's going to be with you. You Don't try and do this on your own. It's not about what you can do on your own. In fact, you can't even do it on your own. Neither can it happen in this generation. There's going to be another generation. We're going to deal with Ahab. We're going to deal with the house of Ahab. We're going to deal with Jezebel. But it's not all about you. You have a part to play, but there are others involved. Elisha, Elijah, you're not finished. Go and anoint this person to be king. Go and take that person to be your successor. I've got a message for you. I've got a ministry for you. And now, Elijah is beginning to be refreshed on the way, on the road of restoration. And he goes forward, not perfect, not fully restored, but beginning to be renewed in the inner man, strengthened in the inner man. Musicians, come to the platform, please. And so... For all of us, what are we saying today? I'm saying this. Listen to that delicate, whispering voice within. Ask your red dot question. Where are you? Where am I right now? Begin to reflect what's going on inside you. Begin to be aware and begin to see that a lot of what's going on inside you is ugly flesh. Even in the most spiritual context, you can be struggling with that, like Paul, what you want to do, you don 't do what you don 't want to do, you end up doing till you cry out in brokenness, not through the pain of your circumstances, but through the realization of your fleshly way of living, broken, you cry out to God for mercy, for help, in true repentance, and Then comes the release of the Holy Spirit's power. This time, not just his power on you, but his power in you. You move from there depending not on yourself, what you can do, what you can achieve. You don't try to project this false image of success and power on the outside. You uh, allow people to see your vulnerability because you see we are just earthen vessels and the excellence of his power is not of us. It is of Him. When we learn to live like that repeatedly in this cycle of inner reflection, hearing from God, being strengthened and moving forward, we're beginning to grow in the way that God has called us, Christ being shaped in us.